0: And all right, well, we're going to start off tonight with some questions. And um, Brother Reese, uh, could you help me set up a microphone down there? And we're just going to have some fun with with these things tonight. And uh, I'm going to ask you to come forward to ask your questions uh, so you will be as intimidated as I am, okay?
1: (laughs) Um, No,
0: I'm just kidding. if you're physically not able, Brother Reese will run the mic over to you. Uh, but just kind of want to start getting people lined up in advance to ask questions so we can get in as many as we can. And so if you'd like to ask, uh, if you have a question you'd like to ask tonight, I'm just going to start a- asking some of you just to start uh, coming down the aisle and lining up to ask questions here. Um, and uh, I'm going to make it a little uncomfortable for you. You don't have to stand in line the whole time, but if you do have a question you want to ask, uh, just come down this aisle right here and, uh, and we'll start getting you guys lined up for that. Um, don't everybody move at once, of course, but um, all right I'm going start with <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start with the uh, first one here. Okay, there you go. Others of you, I just what I want you to do is go ahead and start lining up. If you have a question you want to ask tonight, some of you are thinking I'm not going to ask a question if you're going to make me walk up there. Um, but uh, uh, the, the hope, hope of it is just to save some time. And so let's turn mic 7 on. Um, oh, it's on. Okay, It wasn't.
2: It is on. It is now? Yes. Right. I maybe they didn't want me asking you or something. So. so what did Jesus mean when he said, judge not, that you be not judged, when, in context, we as Christians are called for discernment and not to cast our pearls, uh, our, our pearls before swine? I'm hoping you can give us a little better context on that, because obviously we, as Christians, can't judge. The Holy Seat. whether we're going to be joining him in heaven. So mm-hmm. I was
0: hoping you could discern that for me. So the passage of scripture you're referring to is Matthew 7, I believe, mm-hmm. um, which will be in, in the near, near future. Uh, with me, probably not so near future, but we'll get there eventually. Uh, 84 years later. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> uh, ju- uh, Matthew 7 uh, verse 1 says, Judge not that you be not judged. Uh, for context here, for, for with what judgment you, you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye, thou hypocrite. First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of Thy brother's eye, give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast you pearls before swine. And so full context there of, of the question that you're asking. Um, the most quoted verse in the Bible, what do you think it is? It is Matthew 7.1. I, I used to think it was John 3.16. In fact, I wish it was John 3.16. But it's Matthew, Matthew 7.1, judge not that you be not judged. And we do exactly what the Pharisees did. With our judgment we don't judge according to truth we judge according to our perception of truth which is what Jesus was addressing through the entire sermon on the mountain um, he was addressing the fact that these people uh, religious people of his time and all let's face it all of us as human beings we tend to cast judgment according to our own standard alright so I judge you according to your worst aspects Right? because it makes me look better. That's how we tend to look at each other. Man, First First Samuel sixteen seven. Man looks on the outward. God looks on the heart. God sees our heart. And Jesus was addressing the heart throughout all of his Sermon on the Mount. And he is addressing it when it comes to our the manner in which we tend to judge each other. Now the Bible actually says, uh, I'm trying to remember where this is at, it's in, it's in one of the Corinthians, I think, it's, I think it's 1 Corinthians, and I can't remember the chapter right now. Uh, I could give you the verse later if you want to know it, I, just, I would have to look it up. But the Bible says, why are you taking your brother to the law? Why are Christians going against Christians to the law? Why aren't you settling your issues in the church? I'm doing a huge paraphrase here. Um, He said, do you not understand that you're going to judge angels one day? And can you not render judgment on the least of matters between each other? Okay, And, and what Paul was pointing out here is we have the perfect standard of judgment. And the perfect standard of judgment is not our opinions and not our perceptions or not our ideas about truth or our ideas about how things should be. God, God's standard is the standard by which we should judge everything. Okay? And, uh, by the way, uh, Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Uh, the Bible, let me just go there because uh, it's not coming to my head right now. Galatians 6, and verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, self, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so what the Lord is teaching us there is, yes, sometimes judgment needs to be rendered. And you need to go confront someone who's been overtaken in a fault. But as you do it, you do it in a spirit of meekness considering yourself. Because, hey, you've heard it said before, if not for the grace of God, finish it for me. There go I. All right? So what Jesus was saying in Matthew 7 was... Don't just throw out these, these empty judgments trying to condemn other people who may be found in open sin when in your heart you know you've got a beam, you've got a whole log in your eye, and you're getting frustrated by a little splinter in your brother's eye. Um, and so Jesus is saying, Stop being a hypocrite with your judgment. And ironically, that's exactly what the majority of our society does when they quote, Judge not that you be not judged. Um, they don't want you to judge them for their lifestyle. Well, I can live how I, I want to live. and And you need to not judge me for that. But as Christians, it's our responsibility to call out sin. It's especially among among the brethren. It's our responsibility to call out sin for the sake of our society. We call out sin not to hurt people, but to help people understand their need for Christ. That's the motivation. And we do it with a spirit of meekness. Not because we think we're better than other people, but because we know we're just as guilty of sin and just as much in need of Christ. And so I think that that's a a very common misconception that happens in our day. Um, And I don't think that either extreme is right. The extreme of saying, well, I'm not going to judge anybody. All All we have is the outward. Man, look, we can't see the heart. We have to use some discernment with our associations. We have to use some discernment when we see someone who outwardly appears they may be struggling with sin, the loving thing to do is to confront them uh, in love and meekness, and, and that's, that's important. Uh, the extreme is not to not judge at all. That's not what Jesus was teaching there. And on the other side of things, we shouldn't come to a place where we are judging everyone and everything, okay? The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that he that meddles with an issue, this is again gonna paraphrase, I need to memorize this, but he that meddleth with an issue that's none of his business is like someone who takes a dog by his ears. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> Don't get bit, okay? And there's a lot. I mean, I, I have been bit many times, all right, because I have meddled with things I had no business meddling with. And I do think there needs to be a balance between never judging was what some people say. Um, and it's my responsibility to be the, the judge and jury for every person on, on the earth, uh, Neither one is right. Somewhere in the middle is where God's called us to be. And like you said, discernment, spiritual discernment is the key. And always with the goal of restoration. We never judge just to, well, I'm better than you. The goal is always restoration. If they're in fault, I want to help them get right. Or I want to see if I perceive that they're in fault. I want to approach them. And by the way, just them, right? Not sandblasting it around to everyone. Just them go to them by themselves. And the goal is restoration. Is that? Yeah, answer? actually, I thought I was going to have
2: a follow-up, but you you uh, mm-hmm. you did very well on that. Okay. You ran into a personal <laughs> situation this week, and it's causing division between our family. Okay. Uh, members of our family, and all we can do is just point out what's right, and that we're going to continue to follow what's right, okay. and not with the intention of uh, having a problem with your brother, so to speak, but uh, because we all, we know what it, the Lord says about ca- leaving your 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 president at the altar. Going and making right with your brother, but yep. it's right. difficult to counterbalance those two when someone tries to hide, use that as their defense. Mm-hmm. So, right. Thank you. Yep. You did a good job.
0: Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. All right, Brother Butler's going to come and ask ask a question for us here, for er, Miller. Butler, I, I call you call you Tom Butler all the time. <laughs> I do not know why. We had a Tom okay. Butler in our church who's gone to heaven, and uh, Brother Miller, go ahead. Yeah, your question is on uh, Revelation. 22.15. Say the reference again. 22.15 in Revelation. Revelation 22.15. Okay, go ahead. Well, I think
3: we have a problem. I'm not
2: sure
0: it's in your Bible. Revelation 22.15. You want me to read it for you? Yeah. What? It says, for without our dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a
1: lie. Okay. Well, I was always under the impression that when the New Jerusalem comes down, all the evil will be gone. And as I understand the dogs, that's the evil ones. And am uh, kind of confused the
3: and always have been about just what why it's referencing something that is supposed to be gone.
0: So you're you're asking why are these these particular individuals mentioned to mentioned to be without the New Jerusalem? Yes. And why they're not in hell. Well, yeah, why they' why they're, they're outside the the gauge, but right. they're not allowed in. Right, right. That's a good that's a good question. Is that the full question? Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's read uh, he, we're in Revelation twenty-two for this question. Revelation twenty-two and verse so start in verse number uh, uh, twelve this is Jesus speaking. And behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus is laying his authority as the beginning, the end, uh, the first and the last. He's saying it's my, it's my prerogative to reward everyone uh, according to his works. Verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments uh, and that, uh, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without our dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Um, and uh, I'm going to stop it right there. So the question is these individuals that are mentioned um, dogs. Uh, dogs is, we study this in Philippians 3. You guys remember when he. When Paul literally said in Philippians 3, beware of dogs. He's talking about false teachers um, uh, is what he was talking about there. Uh, So he's talking about the dogs, sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, liars. We we learned about liars this morning. They are found without the city. And those uh, those who, verse 14 says, do his commandments um, are the ones who have the right to enter into the city. All right. So we know clearly from Scripture that works salvation is not found anywhere in the Bible. And so when the Bible talks about those who do his, do his commandments here, well, what, what does the Lord command regarding someone coming, coming into heaven?
1: What's that?
0: accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's it. It's just simple faith in Jesus Christ that gives us access to heaven, right? When the Bible mentions without my understanding of this passage, without studying it deeply here, when the Bible mentions without, it's a picture word um, that's talking about, you know, you have heaven and those who are outside of heaven, and and heaven at this point, this this is the last chapter of the book of Revelation, so all the judgment is passed, The new heaven, new earth have been established, right? Um, And so when the Bible mentions without that realm, I believe it's talking about the lake of fire. I believe that it's talking about hell. I don't think that there's going to be a a city with walls. um, And then outside those walls, we're going to see all these lost people there. The Bible is very clear that there's going to come a point when God condemns everyone who hasn't trusted Christ, who is guilty of sin. And they will be cast into the lake of fire. Okay, Revelation 20. or in, or in uh, chapter 22, Revelation 20. Um, and verse number, let's just go to uh, 11. Verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. What we're reading about in Revelation 22 comes after this point, which I understand Revelation isn't chronological, but I believe that last passage, when it mentions those certain individuals being without the city, it's a reference to them being out of heaven, they're in hell. All right? That's the only other place people are going to be in eternity. Right? Uh, Revelation 21 and verse number 8 the Bible says, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. They will not escape. There's appointed point a man once to die, Hebrews says, in Hebrews 9, and after this comes the judgment. When they are judged, they're in hell for eternity. There is no, the Bible teaches nothing about a um What's the Catholic word for that? Purgatory. purgatory right? There's no purgatory. There's no middle land where you're paying off your sins and maybe get in heaven one day. You believe in Jesus, you go to heaven. You don't believe in Jesus, you go to hell. That's it. Um, and so my understanding of that passage there is that when it says without the city, it's a reference really without heaven, without the realm of eternity in heaven, are those who have sinned and they're in hell. Yeah. are you guys Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to read one of these questions. If one of you have a question you want to ask, you can just go ahead and come on up here. I'm going to read one of these questions, and uh, then we might sing a song after that, so have have something ready for me there. Um, uh, One question I was asked, this is from uh, Victor Ann. Uh, He said, how do you talk to someone who has been diagnosed with a terminal illness about their faith and their eternal destination?" Uh, how do you talk to someone who's been diagnosed with uh, a, a terminal illness about, about their faith? That's a great question. All of us at some point are going to face uh, a situation like this. And it's always nice when you, someone is diagnosed with that and they already know the Lord as their Savior. Um, but here's what I found. And, and, and this is a sad reality. The, the vast majority of people... Even, uh, even believers, they don't even talk to their closest family members about their faith. We make assumptions about people, even those who are closest to us. We look on the outward and say, well, they go to church and they claim to be a Christian, so yeah, they're saved. And I, and I find this happening all the time for me as a pastor. I came into an already existing church, okay? And making a lot of assumptions about people who are here and already members that they have been saved. And a lot of times, I'll, I'll be in conversation with someone who's even a member of this church and it'll just come up and I'll just say, oh, by the way, when were you saved? Uh, um, uh, uh I don't know. And churches are filled with unsaved religious people. Even this church, okay? Um, and so what, what becomes really difficult is with people who have been diagnosed with terminal illness, even, usually uh, you're either a close friend to this person, if you've got a burden to talk to them, uh, or maybe they're even a family member, immediately you're reminded of the imminence of their, their death, and they're aware of the imminence of their death. Um, and it's, it's really tough, and the reason why I brought up that first part is never make assumptions. Never make assumptions. Have you heard their testimony of faith? If you haven't heard their testimony of faith, then don't assume that they're saved. Now, we can't do the saving for anyone, but our job is to do the sharing of the gospel, and the Holy Spirit does the work of salvation in the hearts of individuals, okay? But, you know, if God prompts your heart to try to share the gospel with someone, it's your responsibility to share the gospel with them. And and to not do so would be disobedience. The only alternative to soul-winning is disobedience. Okay? So you you can't have an excuse to say, "Well, I can't ask them about their eternity." Listen, if they've been especially if they've been diagnosed with a terminal illness, you have got to ask them. And that's why God's placed it on your heart. And so understand the importance of doing so. I do think there can be a right way and a wrong way about doing so. Uh, for instance, you probably don't want to walk in the room and say, hey, since you're going to die, are you sure you're going to go to heaven? And I say that facetiously, maybe not very funny, but um, probably wouldn't be the right way to approach it. Uh, you need to be tender-hearted and careful in dealing with someone like that. But hey, the reality is for someone who's been diagnosed with a terminal illness, they are very aware about Uh, how frail their life is. And that their days are numbered. And I have seen it happen to where people have been brought to the place of an intimate death and they trusted Christ through that trial when they probably would not have any other way. And so God brought them to that place of, of trial so that they would trust Christ. I'll tell you this I get calls all the time will you go talk to my loved one in this hospital? They're on their deathbed. And sometimes people get saved, sometimes they don't, okay? That's, that's, up, that's up to God working in their heart. I have gone to people who are terminally ill and tried to visit with them. And if you don't know them, it has its own level of difficulty. Um, as I'm walking in the room, and immediately they're introducing me, hey, this is the pastor. And either they're like, please come help me, or they're like, get out of here. Yeah. And I've had people even on their deathbed, sadly, have no interest in, in Christ, no interest in the Word of God. They, they hold their unbelief to their grave. And that's, that, that's a heartbreaking thing. But uh, that's, that's, that, is, that, is, that is their choice. Uh, our responsibility is to still share the gospel, or at least make every effort to share the gospel. And so uh, when you approach someone who has experienced a diagnosis of a terminal illness, really sharing the gospel with them is no different than you would anyone else. Um, It's just getting the courage up to be able to talk to them about their soul. Uh, Usually I encourage people don't just walk up, walk in the room and jump right into it. Um, Take some time getting to know them. If you already know them, take some time sharing memories. And what I have found is that the Holy Spirit of God will often just create that moment to where you know it's time for me to ask about their soul. And just follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit um, in, in, in talking to people about their faith. Um, and uh, so that's, uh, I, I know Brother Vic's not here uh, tonight to, to hear that, but that would, be, that would be my answer to that question right there. All right. While well, you're thinking about another question, uh, let's sing a song, and somebody have a song recommendation. Brother Stan was the first one. Hattie almost got it, but she put her hand back down, okay? And so Brother Stan beat you to the punch. Brother Stan, what song are we going to sing? Uh, uh,
1: 261, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. 261,
0: Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. You want to turn there? Uh, why don't we stand for a minute? We'll sing one verse in the chorus of Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And uh, then we'll get back to some more uh, more questions here tonight. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? Let's sing this song. Okay.
1: Let's sing it. Oh, soul.
0: All right, Miss Katie.
3: So I, so I have this memory as a kid of either reading or being taught that in the three days that Jesus was dead, that he spent that in hell.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I also grew up reading NIV. Um, that's just what our church did. Is that true?
0: Uh, G- okay, did Jesus, did Jesus, the three days that he was dead, go to hell? So where that teaching comes from is actually not from the Bible. Where that teaching comes from is from the um, Apostles Creed, which was something that was written by early church fathers, some of the same early church fathers who were central to the formation of the Catholic Church. Um, And so uh, in a technical sense, well, let's go to the Scripture. What does the Bible tell us about where Jesus went when he died on the cross? Um, Let's go to the book of John to answer this question. Um... In the book of John, Jesus makes a statement that is uh, central to our understanding of this very thing. I'm sorry, it's the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And you have to give me a second to find it here because I want to give you the scriptural answer here. And. Yeah, John, or sorry, Luke, twenty-three, and verse number um, forty-two. Luke twenty-three, verse forty-two. So, in context, Jesus is on the cross at this point. He's hung between two thieves. The one on the left side rejected him. The one on the right side realized his sinfulness as he watched Christ being crucified, and he realized his need for Christ. And what he said in Luke 23 and verse 42, he said unto Jesus, Lord, we called him Lord. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, today, that day, thou shalt be with me. Where? Paradise. In the paradise. Where did Jesus go when he died on the cross? He went to a place called paradise by his own admission there. Now, not the Greek word for heaven. He said paradise. There's a place called paradise where Jesus said he was, he was going to go. Okay, And so uh, there are a lot of Old Testament references that I'm not going to remember off the top of my head uh, to, uh, to give scriptural precedent to what I am about to tell you. But I want to tell you what I believe the scripture teaches. Okay? And there are good men who and women who disagree with me. Uh, but from my study of the scriptures, this is this is what I've discovered. Jesus said he went to a place called paradise in Luke chapter 16. I believe this is the same place where Abraham was. A place there that's called Abraham's bosom. Okay, the people who died in the Old Testament did they go to heaven? No. We know that because in Matthew, the Bible actually tells us that when Jesus was resurrected, the souls of Old Testament saints were also resurrected with him. The souls, mind you, not the bodies. There'll be a resurrection of the body at a different time. Um, And so they they were souls that were being kept in a place called Abraham's bosom, called paradise. um, And this was a place where Old Testament saints who had believed on the Messiah... Were, 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 were placed until the finished work of Calvary was completed. When Jesus died on the cross, established the new covenant, gave us a way to heaven, those souls were allowed to be able to ascend to heaven. To be absent from the body for us as the believers today is to be what? Present, Present with the Lord. It wasn't the case in the Old Testament because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet to pay for sin. Um, and so when he did, when he rose again and finished the work of our salvation, those Old Testament saints were actually brought up to heaven as well. Okay? Uh, there's a prophecy in the book of Ezekiel. It might be Jeremiah. I'm pretty sure it's Ezekiel. It actually might be Isaiah. If you want to know, again, I'll look it up for you. Okay? <laughs> but it's one of them. And it actually says that hell, well, said that hell was going to expand itself. Okay? So there was was a place, Abraham's bosom, um, called Paradise by Jesus, where Old Testament saints went to. What we know about that place, because I believe Luke 16 is a literal account of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man goes to hell, Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom, and between them, there was a great chasm, the Bible says, that separated them. The people who were in hell were in eternal torment. The people who were in Abraham's bosom were at eternal rest. Okay, that wasn't just a figurative story. I believe that was a literal story. Real names of real people were used, uh, at least for the at least for the believer in that case. Um, and so that that would be the place I believe Jesus was talking about. Now, let's see if I can remember where this is at. Uh, I believe it's 1 Peter where I'm going to uh, where I'm going to be going to next. Um, the passage where Jesus talks about. Uh, Preaching victory over uh, those who were in hell, and I, I may not find this in time because I don't want to uh, to waste time here. But I, I'm not I'm not going to find it in time to be able to convey it to you. But the Bible actually talks about how Jesus went. Uh, during the three days that he was dead, and he preached a message of victory over. Did you find it? Three nineteen. First Peter three nineteen. I knew it wasn't the Peters. First Peter three. Yeah, First Peter three verse eight, starting at verse eighteen. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened, or made alive by the Spirit, by which he also went. Um, so by which he's talking about how he once suffered for our sins. By this he also went after it and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient. When once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. And so there the Bible is talking about how Jesus during that time period went and preached a uh, message of victory over the spirits that were were held in that in yeah, and, and, and the prison uh, another passage talks about how he, he led captivity captive um, and, and, and when, he, when he conquered the grave all of these scriptural references speak to us of the fact that Jesus did not go to literal hell we say that Jesus suffered hell for you but Jesus suffered for sin on the cross and for Jesus to have went to literal hell after he died would be for him to contradict himself. Because what did he say when he was on the cross? It is finished. But was it? If he went to hell and suffered for sin in hell for us after he died on the cross, was it finished? Well, no, there's still more suffering that needed to take place. He suffered all of God, separation from God, all of God's wrath while he hung on the cross. And And then he went by his own admission in Luke chapter 23 to a place called paradise. Um, and so, and then when he rose again, uh, the spirits from paradise rose with him. There is no paradise, paradise now. I believe based on the prophecy that we're, in the Old Testament where the Bible says hell has expanded itself. Um, that, that, that hell, because of the number of people going to hell, actually overtook that area, whatever it was that was known as paradise, once, uh, uh, once uh, the, the saints were gone out of there. And now the souls of saints are not in paradise. They're not in purgatory. Uh, they're in heaven. They're with the Lord in the presence of the Lord. And that's how it is today. Um, so does that answer your question? Good. Mr. Reese.
3: So as Christians, I think we often get asked, why do good thing, or bad things happen to people, such as illness, injury, whatnot. But recently I've been asked by a few friends that are ER nurses, paramedics, that see a more tragic side of things, ask, why does God allow children who are innocent to go through these things that are horrific?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's difficult. God made the world to be a, a good place, a perfect place. We corrupted it when we brought sin into this world. And sin has complicated and perverted everything that God intended uh, uh, intended to, to work in peace and unity and perfection. Um, you know, in Matthew 5, we're going to talk about this real soon. Um, I was thinking about this the other day. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse number... Um, Verse number 45, Matthew five forty-five. the Bible says that you may be the children of your father, which is in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. We like to ask the question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? I like to ask the question, why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? God's a good God. And he makes the sun to rise and the rain to fall, even on people who don't deserve it. The fact is, we are all blessed with things we don't deserve every single day of our life. And we have a standard by which we think God is supposed to function. God doesn't do things our way. And one of the most important things that we can understand when it comes to questions like this is the sovereignty of God. We know that God knows what he's doing, and we know that whatever God is doing in the end it's for our good and for his glory and those are the truths that we must hold on to in times of hurt, in times where people go through things atrocities that people have to go, to, uh, have to go through in this life and uh, we, we know from what the scripture teaches us that God can take even the worst that man can do and turn it around for his glory and even for the good of the people who had to go through those difficult experiences um, and and those, those are the truths that we have to hold on to during those times. Now while you're going through it, and uh, while you are facing tragedy, the tragedy of, uh, of the tragic loss of someone you love maybe, uh, you're going through the illness, uh, you fill in the scenario, it's very hard because as human beings we still struggle with the emotions of grief, uh, which include anger, even anger at God. Why are you allowing this to happen? Okay. Um, And those are things that God understands. He walked in human flesh. He's not unfamiliar with the feelings of our infirmities. But in the end, we don't live on the basis of our feelings as believers. We are to live on the basis of our faith. And what faith tells us is that God is good. God is sovereign. God knows what he's doing. And in the end, God is going to work this out some way for, for, for my good and for his glory. So long as I trust him. We live off of that faith. When our feelings want to scream at us that every, uh, everything else is, there's nothing about that that's true for me right now. God is, it doesn't, this doesn't feel good. Why would God allow this to happen? There's no way God could work this out for good. God's abandoned me. Read the book of Job. This is exactly what Job was going through. Um, and uh, uh, we go through those feelings as human beings. But it's when our feelings betray us, we have to stand on our faith of what we know God's word says about who God is and how God works, and uh, uh, you know that's that's the truth. I always come back to when I when I face that question. So, any any follow up on that or? Well, for sake of time, I'm not going to uh, try to look it up right now, but the Bible does tell us Jesus' feelings towards children. He has a very, uh, God has a very tender heart towards children. We don't just sing the song Jesus loves of the little children. Uh, literally, Jesus said, if you hurt one of these little kids, I'm going to tell you, it'd be better for you that a millstone was tied around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. Alright? Because that's nothing compared to what, what's coming for you. If you hurt one of these little ones, God's very clear. And even the Bible even actually mentions one of the only references to guardian angels it is in the same passage that I'm talking about there, where the Bible says, for in heaven, their angels do always keep watch over them. Um, God has a very special place in his heart toward children. Um, but that does not negate the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world, uh, which is all part of God's sovereign design. Um God, God didn't create the world, and man sinned, and he went, oh, man, <laughs> doggone it, oh, I didn't see that coming. He knew from the foundation of the world, before sin ever came into the world, he knew He's going to be the lamb that was slain. It was all part of, of, part of his sovereign design. Um, and it's tough when you face those kinds of questions. Um, does, does God allow those things to take place? Yes, he allows those things to take place. Uh, is, that, is that God's will that those things take place? No. Will God judge those things that have taken place? Absolutely. You think about, you can go to the Smithsonian, you can go over to Germany, and literally they have rooms full of children's shoes and rooms full of uh, of demonstrations of the atrocities that happen to humanity, uh, uh, and that we have done as humanity. And those things are really hard to explain. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, like I said at the beginning, we have to go back and rely on the, the principles of what we know about who God is and how God works. And if, if that isn't enough, um, there's not really an answer that you're going to give to people. Because really when people a lot of times when people ask that question, they are expecting God to be something. And they're expecting God to fit in their box. If, if God was good, then he wouldn't have allowed this child to suffer. They're starting with the wrong hypothesis. They're starting with their feelings. If God is good. Wait a minute. He is. OK? Um, we know that, and uh, that's where we have to bring back people back to and understanding that, even through the, most, the worst of situations. Uh, I heard a testimony from someone this past week. It was just incredible, and I, I, our church is going to get to hear it soon too um, tons of difficult things happened, tragedy, but God is bringing good out of it. And it's those kinds of stories that give us hope, even when, you're, when we're facing difficult questions like that. Uh, that's probably the most asked, one of the most asked questions, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? But it is especially hard when you, it's in the context of it happening to children. But the answer to me is no different, it's the same. And it's all based on faith and what God teaches us about, about himself in the scriptures. Um, so very, very good question. Very good question. Well, we're running out of time, okay? Uh, so does anybody have a, a, a final question you want to ask tonight? Oh, you want to do a song, Eddie. All right, Brother Dick. I do have one I need to read too, and I'll do that quickly, but you go ahead. Well, let's see if this is high enough for me. Okay. I have an end times question. Okay. If I'm witnessing to a person, sharing the gospel with them, and uh, they reject it. They've heard the truth, they know the truth, and they reject it, and uh, tomorrow I'm gone, rapture. Do they have a second chance? That's the question. So basically the question is, are people going to get saved during the tribulation? No, not the people are going to get saved. As a person who has rejected Christ before, do they have a chance after the rapture to accept Christ? Okay, so people who have already heard the gospel rejected Christ? Yes, people that have already heard the gospel and have rejected it. Will they get saved during the tribulation? You yeah. know. Will they get saved during the tribulation? Can they get saved during the tribulation? That's right. what you're asking. Okay. So uh, this is one of the most highly debated subjects about Bible prophecy. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you two lines of thought. I could give you three, but I'm gonna give you two lines of thought, and then I'm gonna tell you what I believe. Okay. Uh, the first line of thought uh, was one, the one that's been very very popularized today by writers like Tim LaHaye. Um, Tim LaHaye uh, actually uh, was a big proponent of the fact that people who have heard the gospel will have the opportunity during the, during the tribulation to still get saved. Um, and uh, he even went so far as to, well, I'm not going to get into that because we don't have time for it. But he was a really big proponent of it. How many of you have read the um, Left Behind series? Read the Left Behind series, and so the the main character in that story I can't remember his name right now in the series, but he his his family was saved. He wasn't. He heard the gospel, had a chance, didn't get saved. Rapture happens. He gets saved after. And so that's a that's a big uh, a, a big part of of his doctrinal position. I know that's a fictional series, but. Tim LaHaye's doctrinal position was that people can get saved um, after. And obviously, if you read the book of Revelation, uh, the Bible Bible is very clear that there's going to be a multitude of people from every language, tribe, tongue, and nation who will get saved during the tribulation. God is going to actually appoint four angels to fly throughout the earth to preach the gospel Uh, all over the earth. There'll be 144,000 Jewish young men, who will, will get saved and they will go all over the earth declaring the gospel. There will be thousands and thousands of people who get saved during the tribulation. The question is, will those who have already heard and rejected the gospel have the opportunity to get saved? And, uh, uh, man, I, my brain is not, not with me here. Any uh, of you know where that passage is where it talks about the strong delusions? Is it 2 Corinthians? It's uh, not where I'm remembering it being. Yeah, Thessalonians sounds closer to home.
1: Thessalonians, that's right.
0: Give me just a second. Let me see if I can find this, because this is really one of the most important passages on the subject.
1: It's 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 12.
0: Okay, let's read this. 2, Th- 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in, there it is. Verse 7, it says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let. Now the word let in the Greek is a word that means restrain. Only he who now restrains will restrain until he be taken out of the way. Who do you think is the one that's restraining the, the, the evil, the wickedness in this world? It's the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus in John 16 actually said that will be one of his ministries. Not only to comfort, but he's coming to convict the world of sin. Um, And you think it's bad now? Wait till there's no Holy Spirit. Wait till there's no Holy Spirit living in believers who are continuing to preach the gospel and stand for truth. This world has not seen the wickedness that's coming on it and the depravity. Without... Believers and without the Holy Spirit's presence. The tribulation will be a time of wickedness beyond what anything this world has ever encountered. The only time period that will, be, that will come close to it was the world before the flood. Okay, um, But that's, that's, uh, uh, that the Holy Spirit is going to be taken out of the way when the rapture takes place. Okay? Verse 8, and then shall that wicked be revealed. That's the Antichrist. Uh, Again, Wicked is capitalized. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Um, And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Um, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Uh, You study this whole passage in context. The Bible says the Holy Spirit's going to be removed during the tribulation. Okay? And then the wicked one, the Antichrist, is going to be revealed. And he is going to be so persuasive. Because the Bible says that God himself is going to to allow strong delusions to go into this world where people will believe his lies. And uh, we are already seeing evidence of how possible that is in the day and time we're living in today. Okay, enter in COVID. Enter in a lot of the things that have been pushed on this world that we so easily became ensnared by. Imagine if there's no restraining influence of the Holy Spirit. That's what's going to happen during this tribulation time period. And the Bible says that God will send these strong delusions that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so all of those who believe this lie fall, fall prey to this strong delusion. Um, uh, no, they, they obviously are not going to get saved. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said that the lies of the Antichrist will be so powerful that if it were possible, and that's a, an important phrase in Matthew 24, it will deceive uh, even even the elect will be deceived. Because again, it says if it were possible. It didn't say that the elect will be deceived. It says if it were possible, it would be. He's going to be so persuasive that they're going to think, Wow, that sounds really good. Does that make sense? And so that's going to happen during this tribulation time period. But verse number thirteen is very critical to our understanding of this passage. It says, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brother and beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. How has God chosen to bring about the salvation of the soul? Through Through sanctification of the Spirit and through the belief of the truth. Now, this is where the clincher is at. The Holy Spirit is going to be removed from the earth during the time of the tribulation. Okay? And so one camp says, well, since there's no Holy Spirit, there's no one one who's going to get saved. But what about all the people the Bible does say are going to get saved? You understand? And so that's why there's there's so much debate on this subject. I believe that people are going to get saved the same way they have always been saved. And the opportunity for people to get saved is going to be the same it was in the Old Testament, as it is in the New Testament, and as it will be in the Tribulation. Um, and I believe that, I, I personally, through my study of the Scripture, believe that everyone will have the opportunity to trust Christ as their Savior during the Tribulation. But without the working of the Holy Spirit, um, it, it, is, it is going to be a very dark time with a lot of lies. And we think today is filled with deception. That time is going to be a completely, different, a completely different time period. I do see where people who teach that people who have, have heard the gospel and rejected it, that they won't have an opportunity to be saved then. I do see where they're coming from on that, but I don't personally hold that view of the scripture. I believe that any soul who believes in Jesus Christ as their savior will have that opportunity to receive Christ as their savior. And I don't think that God's going to sit up in heaven and say, oh, no, it's too late for you. Um, uh, uh, the final judgment has not taken place. There will be people who get saved during the tribulation. And uh, based on the authority of scripture that God is not willing that any should perish, I just cannot see how, uh, personally how God would withhold anyone from that opportunity to be saved. Now, can they be saved during that time? That's really the question. And I don't really have a great answer for you. Uh, that's something God saves souls. God is the one who does the drawing of souls and uh, to, to salvation. And uh, uh, with the strong delusions that will be present during that time, it's a very hard question for me to answer. Um, and uh, there will be, pe- be people in this room who see it both ways, and I understand that. But I believe that everyone will have that opportunity to be saved just as much as they do today during that time period. And I tend to agree with what Tim LaHaye has taught about that, about that subject um, because I believe it agrees with what the scripture teaches. So, good questions. And uh, uh, I, I, I am not the source of all the answers. And it's very possible that uh, I didn't get them all right. That's why you need to get into your Bible, like Brother Dawson prayed a little while ago, and study out the scriptures so that you can give an answer, uh, answer for your faith. Okay? Well, I think we need to end on a song together here, and uh, that'll be really important for us to do. So, Hattie, she's had her hand up the whole time, asking to sing a song. So, what's the song? Set my soul afire. Set my soul afire. What'd you say? Said, I never get to. Oh yeah, <laughs> set my soul afire. Um, and uh, so, uh, what am I supposed to announce? Oh, teacups. There are teacups in the back for our ladies, Um, and uh, so if you don't have a teacup to bring, this is for the Mother's Day thing, if you don't have a teacup to bring to the Mother's Day thing, then you can grab one of those on your way out. Those are available to all of our ladies. Don't you men take those teacups now, okay? All right, let's all stand together, and it's been fun answering these questions tonight. Uh, What page is it? 401. 401. Set my soul afire. Let's do it. 401. And will be dismissed. Okay. Set my soul afire. All right.
1: Let's sing it on the first Set my soul afire.
0: tonight and I appreciate you being here. Uh, Teens, don't forget about your snack activity and you are dismissed.